Welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the Emmys, Oscars, SAG, and Tony's races. Who is in the running? What makes an award-worthy performance? And what are the secrets to giving one? intimate, inspirational conversations with some of today's most talented stars provide you, dear listener, the kind of craft and career advice that could win you a statue of your own, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Don't beat yourself up that you didn't get it. Like somebody went in there and it was just perfect for him. Yeah. And it worked out that day. And and it's going to be great when you go in a room and you're fucking perfect for you it. Have that. And it yeah. all works out. And it, cause it was your job, you know? Yeah. And if it wasn't, you can let it go. It wasn't your job. This reminds me of when we did that little video series. Oh God. <laughs> when we're like on the spot and you're uncomfortable and, and so am I. But, I hate being in, on camera. Yeah. Well, that's why. Welcome to the podcast. Yes. Oh my God. Talking I can do. You know the podcast. Yes, I do know the podcast. Um, Elise, who are you? Elise Roth. Is that correct? That's correct. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> yes, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> um, tell us very briefly, tell us a little bit about what you do at Backstage. I am a senior editor at Backstage, Mm -hmm. and I primarily cover everything that has to do with casting, Mm. which is a lot of things, because Backstage is a casting platform. Yes, indeed. On the site, you probably have seen my name most associated with casting director interviews from across the industry. Love it. And otherwise, lots of news. I edit all of our casting roundups and mm-hmm. our casting news stories and you're letting readers know who's got cast and what mm-hmm. and what is casting right now on backstage right. that our users can apply to amazing and helping people get insight on what casting directors want to see totally Elise's work is wonderful and she really covers a lot of uh, a ton like the list of um, casting directors that you've interviewed is very long the list of casting interviews out there is longer, but at some point you will have interviewed everyone. I mean, everyone <laughs> is is an ambitious assignment, but a lot of people. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. When it comes to a list of award-nominated movies yes. or TV shows, I would say most of the list is covered. Yeah, yeah, most of the big, prominent, prestige stuff. Yeah. Which is why you're here, because today's episode of In the Envelope... Um, we have Timothy Simons on the podcast today. So great. So great. Um, he plays Jonah on Veep, Jonah Ryan. Um, and Veep is about to launch its last season. Pop quiz because you are the queen of casting. Who casts Veep? Allison Jones. Ah! You didn't even pause. Yeah. You just know. Well, she, she was the original casting. I don't know. I actually am not sure if she About later continues seasons. to cast, but she uh-huh. did the original casting. What else did she cast? Superbad, Freaks and Geeks. Oh, like that whole... Oh, yeah. Original casting world. on The Office, original casting on Parks and Rec. Oh, right, right, right. The right. Good Place. She and Mike Schur okay. worked together a lot. Oh, okay. That's, that's good to know. Because uh, Timothy mentions, Allison Jones, and he mentions, like, he tells the whole story of how he got cast on Veep, which is awesome. Uh, In fact, he tells the story of, like, how he met Allison and how he was in his struggling actor days in Chicago and then in L.A. And, like, 
Veep was obviously his first huge role. And mm-hmm. he even said, like, there's no way in hell I ever imagined I would be on A, HBO, B, Amanda Iannucci, and C, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. And he got all three. And he got that gig. Yeah. And he gets into it. And I really like the stuff where he, you'll hear, he talks about the anxiety of being on set for the first time, which, as we know, is always really great to hear. Yeah. I imagine that there's a lot of preparation when you're an actor for doing the job Mm -hmm. and for auditioning. But there's that weird in-between time when just the technical aspect of where do you go what do you do yeah. when you're not actually doing the work Logistically, that can be yeah. really intimidating? Totally. Totally. Let alone the craft stuff of like the how to finesse a joke and how to make a joke as funny as it is on Veep and like which isn't actually a jokey show, I would say. Right. And then there's the added complication of improv and you're working yeah. with all these people who are amazing, which I'm sure is really helpful when you're new or starting out or it's one of your yes. first big roles, but it's also yeah. you have to keep up. Yeah. Um, the Veep, the, what people may not know about Veep is that they have a long rehearsal process for each and every episode because it is almost like an improv troupe. Mm-hmm. Or, Timothy was saying, more like, a, um, more like a collaborative theater group where like a lot of the cast have backgrounds in theater and ensemble work. It's very much an right. ensemble show. Mm-hmm. Julie Louis-Dreyfus plays Selena Meyer. For those who don't know, um, <laughs> Vice President Selena Meyer. She's broken how many Emmy records? She's broken Emmy records for them. playing this role. Yeah. She, it was, the first one was for being the lead, for winning an Emmy for being the lead in three separate shows. In three separate, yeah, yeah. Shows, and no one's done that in that category. A certain amount in a row, and then a certain and amount then in general. Yeah, totally. And she has now the most of any actress that's competitive, I think. And same is true for SAG. I think she has the most SAG awards of any individual actor. Well, she, it's she deserves it. She really does. Um, what else do I need to mention here in my notes <laughs> is that, um, obviously, Armando Iannucci, he's the writer and creator. He's like a legend in England. What I need to mention is that this is a very profane episode of In the Envelope. Oh. (laughs) Well, I guess that goes along with Veep. Exactly, right? If anyone who's seen Veep knows, it's very candid and unedited, I would say even unvarnished. This is actually Mm. feels like kind of a different, well, not different, but we really got into it. Every every word out of Timothy's mouth was so insightful and, and he's such a nice person. However, he's as foul-mouthed as he is big-hearted. Did he say, say, Julia Louis-Dreyfus recently (laughs) in an interview said that in real life now, she uses swear words all the time because uh she's carried that over from working on Veep for so long. Sure. Was that the case with him? I think so, yeah. He... And it's such an interesting time to talk to anyone from V because it's closing. So mm-hmm. everyone's like bummed and sad. Yeah. And you can tell like the effects of that are definitely affecting him. However, he's also developing a new comedy that he's writing and producing called Exit Plans. It is an assisted suicide comedy. That's exciting. <laughs> but also... Doesn't that sound great? I'm very interested to see how that is made into a comedy. Exactly. Yeah. And he, he finishes this interview with some really great like writing advice and as always the... Just like evergreen acting advice and audition advice is, is definitely there. There's also a tangent about a cake plate. Oh. So if you've been looking for really random tangents with like way too much context, you've come to the right place. Um, Elise, thank you for joining me as my guest co-host. Every time I say guest co-host now, I want to say ghost co-host, but you're alive. I'm happy to be either or both. <laughs> okay. Um, I just dragged you into this conference room and now... We should get to our lovely interview with Tim Simons. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, you're welcome. 
This podcast is brought to you by Backstage, the world's number one casting platform. Listen, a lot of the guests on In the Envelope, an awards podcast, used backstage at the beginning of their careers. It's how they are now in the running for Emmy, for Oscar, for Tony, etc. If you are at the beginning of your career as an artist, here's what you do. You go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope at checkout for a free 30-day trial. That's right, free 30-day trial if you go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope. All you got to do then is make a profile, upload a headshot, and start applying to jobs to the thousands of casting notices that are uploaded every day, which you can filter online to match your specific talents, your specific needs, your specific looks. Get that dream started today. Check out that free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe, enter the code envelope. Let's do it. Timothy Simons is a three-time SAG Ensemble Award nominee and one-time winner for bringing to life the god-awful Jonah Ryan in HBO's political comedy Veep, created by Armando Iannucci and starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. As Veep launches its final season, Tim is also working with HBO to write, executive produce, and star in the assisted suicide comedy Exit Plans. Here it is, our interview with the wonderful Timothy Simons. There's always this like this learning curve of talking again. Oh, the you actual know, talking. The actual talking. <laughs> That's great. Of like, you, Are we ready? you forget. Oh, should I should I move this closer? No, no, you're good. Uh, yeah, I've got you all set as you are. Oh, okay. Unless you prefer, yeah, you can still swing these around too. So yeah, this will still move a little if you prefer. Okay. This is a great mic you. setup. Sometimes the mic is in the face and sometimes yeah. Yeah, yeah, I try yeah. to get it to the side so you can Oh, okay, all right, cool. Them. So, yeah, if you need thank to move you. around and I'll just adjust your levels. Okay, awesome, thank you. All right, thank you. Enjoy your show. Um, um, the, just the amount of talking that you have to do. And then huh. I, I struggle with trying to put too much information into sentences that don't need that much information. Or oh, like, mm-hmm. oh, here's all of the context uh-huh. for for what I'm about to say, including my childhood. Like it's oh, that's just what we want though. Oh, okay. We're gonna be I'm gonna be all about that. Oh, okay. All right, cool. More context the better for this podcast, I think. Right, that sounds great. <laughs> but like yesterday I like I was doing an interview I was doing an interview yesterday where they were just asking questions about Julia. Oh, uh huh. Because it's a Julia centric article, but they were interviewing oh, okay. some of us about her. And I I kept just like not following a line of logic and I found myself stopping in the middle of sentences and being like what I just said doesn't make sense I'm gonna start over like it's I'm still sort of like yeah getting into this thing it's getting back on a bicycle or something yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a skill right to like to interviewing or to mm-hmm. our uh being interviewed right there is yeah, yeah. I mean I you, it doesn't seem like it goes totally like Tony Hale would always talk about it like red carpets mm. like red carpet stuff like there is a skill yeah. to that and I remember the first time I was ever on a red carpet or whatever, they they asked me a question. And I was like, wow, I really thought about it. Like, wow, that is okay. Well, I have to consider these aspects. And I gave this sort of long rambling answer. Yeah. And they just, you can They're see like, them glazing over. And Tony was like, what they really want is for you to be like, isn't this so fun? Totally. Like they want one it's thing in and out. Like... They can cut it into like a 
like a whip pan over to you on the thing. Right, right. And then they and get maybe out. something kind of shallow too, just like <laughs> surface level, like <laughs> observational. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Um, I've always wondered about that in terms of like. There's an, a performance aspect, especially, I mean, red carpet is different from, like, yes. this intimate podcast, for yeah. example. But, like, there's an, there's an act. Like, there's an act of, like, I'm going to play a character who's really good at talking on the red carpet. Right? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and it is a skill. I don't know how anybody, I mean, like, I don't, I'm speaking very specifically about one thing. Or sorry, I will say any woman because it's always women that have to do this when they have to do that like oh. over the shoulder pose oh, on red pose. carpets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how anybody has the confidence to do that yeah. because mm. I look at that and they are all so uncomfortable already. And then, yeah. oh, but all I have to do is I put one hand in my pocket and I let the oh. other arm hang down and you kind of put one leg a little bit in front of the other and that's fucking it. That's all I have to do. Sure. Nobody cares. We're, but we're, there's all this shit that women have to oh, do on yeah. red carpets that oh, just yeah, yeah. heightens. Depends how, on the outfit, the dress. like Outfit, yeah. the dress. They always need to do the sort of sultry over the shoulder thing. Yeah. What a nightmare. That's a nightmare. Um, where That's actually really good advice on like how to navigate the red carpet. Like, Where did you learn the like has to be one hand in the pocket and the legs just so? Can I say something that is not? What's the, what's the word when... It's it's like a one word sum up of that you're somebody that's not down to earth. What's that thing? Oh. It's not not identifiable. That's not the word. Um, where someone's not down to earth. It's not authentic. It's, oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, whatever that word is, <laughs> I learned it from my stylist. Oh, like that's uh-huh. where I learned it. Oh. So I have a stylist. That is I it work. like relatable? Genuine? Relatable. 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 This is the least relatable thing oh. I could ever say. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I learned that, like, I learned, you learn that from your stylist. Gotcha. Your stylist tells you this is how you stand. I work with a menswear stylist. Yeah. That's what she does, and that's the only thing she does. And she actually trained you, yes. essentially, to do that. Yeah. Did, was it like a crash course? No. Weeks of training? Like No, it literally <laughs> was her on the way out the door being like, yeah. oh, by the way, one hand in your pocket. <laughs> All right, this arm over to the side, one leg in front of the other. Uh-huh. There you go. And then whatever face you want to make, that's just up to me. That part's up to you. That's, that part's None up to None of the me. rest of it's up to yeah. you. <laughs> I've found that like they always want you to smile really big, but my face uh-huh. just looks weird when I smile Same. really big, so I Same. try not to. Yeah. I try to do the little sort of closed mouth smirk. I don't know. I really can't pull that off. The closed mouth thing, I always end up looking like I'm pissed. That's odd. Man, I would take that. I and would... instead, you got to be like <laughs> That's a <nightmare>. giant smile, <laughs> like teeth out. Right. I'm still figuring. I'm glad yeah. I'm, I'm not photographed all the time. Oh, it's awful. This is why I run a podcast because I have <laughs> these things. Um, I can't wait to th- thank you so much for joining us. No I'm, problem. So we're with Backstage. Do you know Backstage? Did I you do, ever yeah. use? Did you ever use us for casting? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <gasps> did you? I was just on the cusp of... I was just on the cusp of everything kind of turning digital, so I kind of like yeah, yeah, was sort of half at when I was coming up, I was half in, half out. So when yeah. I moved to Chicago, obviously like all the listings and backstage for auditions and yeah. everything, and there was also like there was also just like the tactile nature of you went to backstage. There was one other thing. There was oh, there was uh, performing in Chicago, which was like a performing arts Hmm. newspaper Mm -hmm. or newsletter. I don't even know if you could call it a newspaper. Sure, but but that was a big thing. They would list auditions in that. There was also, Hmm. I think, if you came up in Chicago in that time, there was a book called The Book, 
And oh. you showed up in Chicago and everybody was like, read the book. And it ran you through all of like what it was like to be in Chicago theater. Sure. So anyway, it is, it's sort of like backstage would, is like yeah. a big part of like kind of Good. coming up in theater or whatever. And you would circle like, what, what, what did you look for? What kind what of I auditions? For? Yeah. Oh, I was always... I mean, if it said, like, you need to be a singer, I would just be like, fucking X that out. <laughs> like, I, I never <laughs> sure. was, nor have I ever been yeah. a singer. Pardon me real quick. I have to do, um, I wear hearing aids, and they're controlled through an app on Oh, my, my God. Phone. That's amazing. So, um, so I was just not very rudely checking my phone while we were talking. <laughs> That's okay. Um, That's okay. <laughs> no, so I would, I would, if it said, I was, I, I, what, coming up, the only thing, the only thing I wanted to do was, like, weird, sort of off-loop, yes. storefronty, straight place. That's what, that's what I wanted okay. to do. So that's sort of the stuff that I looked for. I mm-hmm. kind of looked at the companies that did that sort of work. Yeah. And I, um... And I would, yeah, that's the kind. That's the kind of stuff that I looked for. That's yeah, the storefront stuff. And Chicago is the place for those kinds of. It sounds like that genre yeah. thrives there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I got to hear the whole story because you, um, we can totally get into the whole life story, because like we're always on this podcast, we're interested in you know, when did you get bit by the bug? If you got bit by the acting bug, mm-hmm. and why? And I always like asking like why acting, why the arts. I mean, there's always like the deep, like I make this joke with, I make this joke with Julia a lot, like whenever, that like, one of the biggest reasons is, is that there is no bottom for the amount of attention, positive or negative, that I need. There's that. (laughs) Okay. So you just kind of start there. Yeah, start there. And then you throw in a little middle child. Oh, okay. You throw in a little middle child, cool. sort of like class clowny, performative, yeah. um, wanting every, everybody to be okay and happy, yeah. kind of middle okay. child stuff. Yeah. And you just throw that in the hopper for 18 years. And then um, I, I started when I, 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 I think I did, I, like, I did some plays in high school, but I wasn't into it. Okay. Like a family friend was directing oh, okay. the show as a teacher, like a young teacher who had just graduated from college had started teaching German at our high school and he also directed the plays and he was great. His name mm. is Peter Duffy and we still keep in touch. Like he's still a family oh, cool. friend. He teaches uh, theater and performing arts at a, co- at a college in uh, uh, South Carolina, I think, at the University of South Carolina. Oh, wow. Yeah. I believe so. Um, Crazy. Which, um, which actually, this, that's an odd segue into the fact that i was also the kind of like class clowny asshole in in high school who would wear like those hats that had like the mascot name on them were very popular sure. do you know what i'm talking about yes and the south carolina one just said Cox. oh because they're the game cocks okay. and so it was like a thing sure man like i wore that yeah. Cox hat around yeah and and of course, if like my great. teachers were like, "We know what you're doing," and I was like, oh, "You don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> like, what a dick! What a dick! What a dick! I would do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> I know it's I like it's, it's a good a joke. It's a yeah, good joke that you wear in your head. Joke. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, he's teaching there now. <laughs> he's teaching <laughs> in South Carolina, Perfect. I think. Um, but we keep in touch. I'll Skype into uh, I'll Skype into his class oh, every really? once in a while. They're like they'll ask questions of like, oh. how did you get started? Like all that kind of stuff. There you go. And you know what? I would say, 
no, I'm mixing stories together. I'm mixing stories together. <laughs> okay. The, it was I Skyped back into my high school's Teen Issues Week one time. Oh, teen issues. We, I went to like a progressive high school, despite oh. what I'm saying about this Cox hat joke. Sure. And that they all kind of clutch their pearls about that. I went to a pretty progressive high school in uh-huh. in, in rural Maine. And, and they had this whole week that was uh, sort of dedicated to hearing, um, like sort of bringing in voices about the things that teens were going through. And a lot of them were, I mean, like, like there, there, like there were people that came in like at the time, like at the time, I mean, it's, it seems so antiquated now, but at the time, like, you know, coming out to your parents as a 15 year old or something like that was sort of like just becoming, so they would have kids from other schools come in and talk about that as a teen issue. That is a teen issue. Like maybe somebody at this school is struggling because they don't know if they can come out to their parents. So like, it was like a support system. Transgendered issues came up in this. I mean, it was like, they were sort of ahead of their time in that regard. There was one guy that came in and did a thing called the dance of addiction, Oh, um, no. And it was about he was sober and he had been a heroin addict. Oh, and I'm, I am, I am laughing. laughing. You're laughing, but <laughs> I am laughing and I feel terrible. But it was very funny. And <laughs> he did this whole dance, this whole interpretive modern dance about him descending into heroin addiction in front of a bunch of eighth graders. Oh, no. and, I, and during this Teen Issues Week, it's still the funniest thing oh. I've ever seen. At one point. <laughs> He was st- pretending to stab in the, himself in the arm and he was screaming, I can't even get high anymore. And like, look, this man has had a much worse life than mine. Uh-huh. And I can't believe that just some shit heel kid wearing a cox hat would even to sit there dare and... to make fun of somebody sure, who went sure, through sure. that. But anyway, it was that kind of week. That's, wow. It was teen issues. I mean, week. you're never going to forget that. You, that. No. There's how you think about drug addiction right there. Yeah. For life. Honestly, that's the reason you shouldn't do drugs is because eventually you'll do fucking modern interpretive dance. This is the only reason. Um, uh, so I skyped oh, so you, into a teen issues okay. week one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To talk about what issues? Oh, I think this was just kind of like this was no, I think... I don't know what the as issue was. As an alum, was. maybe? Yeah. I think like, as like an alum, yeah. I was probably some filler. Like, are you <laughs> are you interested in performing arts? Like, well, we've oh, got okay. this guy to Skype in sure. and you can ask him questions. Okay. Yeah. And the first question in both classes, after I'd done the whole spiel about how I got started and what's it like on set uh-huh. and, and how does it feel and where do you live and all that, the first question in both classes was, do you know Zac Efron? What? I think... What? I think Zach Efron. Both is, times? Both times. What? Both classes. I think he is massively popular in a way that I don't fully understand. Like <laughs> right. I think he's an, I think he's an incredibly talented guy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the fact that it was the only thing, like it but they're was, just sitting there waiting to ask that question. Yes, this was not a passive question. What? This was I am sitting up straight in my chair. I have raised <laughs> yeah, my totally. hand with authority <laughs> to make sure that I am the first. And it, do you know Zach Efron? Oh Included in the subtext of that is, can I meet exactly. Zach Efron? It's about access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember how I said earlier that I'm getting used to talking and I'm kind of, kind of going on tangents? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love it. So <laughs> this is all to answer the question, how did I get well, I bit acted. by the bug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> God this damn. This is perfect. <laughs> um, I started in 
I I started. I got bit by the bug in college, my first year of college. Oh, and my sister. Uh, I had a really like sort of rough freshman year at school, mm-hmm. and um, I just like what I was like. Honestly, it just comes down to I was really having trouble making friends. I didn't find yeah. I didn't find any like minded yeah. people, and I ended. I found I saw a thing. So I had been in some place in high school, but didn't identify as certainly as somebody that wanted to be an actor sure. at all. I auditioned for some 10-minute plays, mm. and they just, like, they went well, and I got cast in, like, two or three of them, Okay, and it was really fun, and it yeah. was something to throw yourself into, and I really, I, this has sort of, like, been a recurring theme in my life that mm. I am somebody that I do think thrives in a an ensemble-based atmosphere okay. like yeah. that, and so I really, like, I immediately recognized, and I think this was also our the the acting teacher at the school where I went, which is certainly not like an acting school by any means, or right. at least not acting forward. I went to the University of Maine. We are mm-hmm. very well known for our forestry program. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But the acting yeah. program, not so sure. internationally renowned. Sure, sure. But and, enough to set you on this path. Huh? But it was enough to set you on the path yeah. of like but I, those 10-minute plays. Of, those 10-minute plays. And yeah. then the next semester, like they... They were called. Um, they were the upper dogs and the underdogs. The underdogs were the those were the ten minute plays, oh. and so that was like the directing class would direct those ten minute plays. Okay. And then the upper level directing class, the upper dogs, the thirty minute plays. Oh, okay. And hmm. so, and so I auditioned legit. for some of those, and I met uh, this guy. I met this guy Claude, who was like a just a really, like a really brash and funny. Canadian guy from Vancouver, uh, from Van- I think he's from Vancouver Island, and he, he just, you know, he's one of those guys that like, he just knew all these fucked up Canadian plays, and <laughs> and like there was this thing of like, like I liked Shakespeare growing up, like I my family mm. there was a Shakespeare theater in Maine that we would go to cool. in the summer, and and I I, I loved it, I loved it, um, but I never felt like a, a much of a call to perform it sure so when i actually sort of found these like sort of weird more modern more modern yeah. plays i really connected with That's those good. and i yeah. i found the experience of like sort of both seeing them um but being in an audience for them and mm. being a part of them i thought was really fun so that's sort of when i caught the bug gotcha. and by the yeah. next that was my freshman year by the by the next fall like i had switched majors and i was just sort of all just sort of all in but again, yeah, goes back to bottomless need for attention, positive <laughs> or negative. They well, had gone well. They had gone well. Like these plays or what, the plays that I was in had gone well, yeah. and a lot of people in the department had seen them. And then I was receiving feedback that was like, "Hey, yeah. you're okay with this? You should continue this." And I was like, "I will do anything <laughs> to continue getting that <laughs> to get more of yeah. that." Yeah, it's almost like you now have to do an interpretive dance about your addiction to acting. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's absolute. An addiction to acting is the worst than that fucking heroin addiction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on this podcast, we want to celebrate addictions to acting, I guess. Like, I do think that the bottomless need for attention, it can be a negative thing, sure, but it can be a positive. It can. You know? Like, yeah. you just, you got to learn how to, you got to learn how to balance it. Like, yeah. You got to well, learn how to balance it, but it's there. Like, it also is like, eventually, you just... You sort of come to the realization of like, oh shit, like I'm just a modern circus person and like, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You got to perform. And be okay with that. 
Yeah, you got to be yeah. okay with that. Yeah. And you got to, yeah. And there's an, but the bottomless need for attention thing is is also like, doesn't have to coincide with being selfish. Or no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it could, but mm-hmm. but it, you don't have to choose to be a dick to be. You don't have to choose to be a dick. Yeah. You can you can you can get attention, and you yeah. can do you can do good work, and you can get attention without being a total without being a total cock. <laughs> right, without, without <laughs> with being a cock with your fucking hat. <laughs> well, and it sounds like that was almost the just being an asshole in high school was like prep for Jonah. Is it safe to say? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, you know, he's a guy that my, with the problem with what I'm about to say is that my, both of my kids, definitely my son oh. are both doing this thing, which is oh. that I think I was, I'm not a charmer, but I was charming enough mm. when I growing up to get away with a lot of shit. Mm. And so I don't think I was an asshole. I think I kind of did assholey things, but I was charming I know enough. That. Yeah, yeah. It, they were never they were never mean yeah. spirited. Yeah. And so I think I kinda yeah. I I pushed every single boundary that I could and I certainly found yeah. whatever whatever was over the line. I was like, okay, well there it is. And right. now I know how to go right up to it. And my own children I'm now getting this sort of divine payback with my own children because right. they are fucking and my son <laughs> Same kind of thing. Yeah. He has a great smile. Like that kid has a fucking uh-huh. great smile and he is a f- warm and, he's gonna and use loving it. and smart kid and he will fucking push <laughs> every boundary. So I think yeah. I think the the differences between sort of like this assholey behavior and that Jonah has and the yeah. and the assholey behavior that I had is that I certainly don't want to say on my side that it was that it was all warmly received or that it was all uh-huh. charming. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think the yeah. majority of it landed on the right side of people. Sure. Whereas his. Yeah. I, I basically, I tried to, I tried to just do all the things that I would do, but I just took any, any grace and charm. Oh out of yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's your types of like teenage behavior, but with the malicious mm-hmm. intent. I mean, he's not always malicious, but like. Yeah, the remorseless. There, it is. Almost. It is remorseless. Everyone yeah. on that show is pretty remorseless. They're pretty remorseless. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. I, and <laughs> yeah, I think totally. it, to the credit of everybody that performs on that show and everybody that writes on that show. The fact, I mean, the fact that it's the show has been on this long. Yeah, and you still like those characters. Oh, sure. They are awful people. Oh, yeah. They yeah. They're the worst people on TV. Yes, I think they are the worst. <laughs> people on television and yet you walk away and like a lot of it is credit to julia she has a way of mm. doing that like the worst person and you're still like you know but i kind of like her. yeah oh i'm totally rooting for her yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though i guess on paper yeah if you read the scripts you're like they're horrible yeah. but then the performances i'm just like yeah but yeah i want to yeah, hang but... out with these people <laughs> from afar i want to hang out with these people you don't ever want to yeah. meet them in real life <laughs> yeah you're yeah. at a safe distance yeah. from them yeah 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 um, I love, we always love hearing about the, I'm, I wrote down something like, I wrote JLD, working with ensemble of geniuses, as if that's like a question for you. But like, I love that in college, part of the biting of the bug, the acting bug was mm-hmm. the ensemble nature and the, the idea of like, um, the greater than the sum of your parts almost. Yeah. And, and acting is such an art form that is, it's hard to kind of quantify what that is and how that works. But I mean, I just find it, I find it fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I've always been, I've, I feel like I've been pretty lucky in that 
just about just about sort of just about every level that I've ever um that I've ever worked in or at least that I've ever had any success in there mm-hmm. was always I feel basically what I'm saying is I feel like I've been very lucky in my life that I have had a bunch of really like the ensembles of people that I've been around yeah like sort of professionally or when you're just talking about like the Chicago theater community sure. sort of at large that like the ensemble nature of the, of those communities that I've sort of been through um I've been very lucky with how well those have operated and and but but again I think it goes back to this thing like I do think that I think that I'm most I've generally been most successful mm. and I think part of, like um a lot of it does have to do just with the the idea of of just kind of these people sort of like they have your back you feel supported mm. by that mm-hmm. and so when it comes to like the ensemble of working with this show and like we do have a lot of, we just about you know a lot of people in the show have theater backgrounds yeah but even the ones that don't are all full on board for this idea of ensemble so when we came hmm. in you know it was my first it was my first big job of any like my first oh, yeah. big job so i was terrified and nervous but it just it just started from the top down it just started from the top down with julia and armando mm. that it was like a very welcoming and supportive environment in like the rehearsal rooms as we were mm-hmm. rehearsing for the pilot that allowed you that not only t- told everybody in the room that their input was valued mm-hmm. but that also if you pitched a joke that just sucked <laughs> it wasn't going to be the thing that was going to be like all right well that's not going to ruin it you pitched a bad joke you tried a thing and it didn't work at all right. you really forced that one and it wasn't just like a write off it was we are we are building this mm. thing together we are creating mm. and finding this thing together and like the the rising tide of that is going to lift all the boats yeah, it sounds like that was very much intentionally like a conscious effort to build an ensemble atmosphere. I think so. I mean, I think it was there were one just by the nature of how we made the show in the beginning. Mm. It it had to be otherwise like cuz mm. we uh, you know, it's been sort of well doc- well documented the rehearsal process that we had. But um which not only was for, like I think we rehearsed for like 3, maybe 3 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we probably rehearsed three days just like in the in like the meeting room at a at a Baltimore Hilton. Like Oh. Yeah, just like a conference room. Um where uh we would read the scenes and then we'd put them to the side and then we'd kind of run through ideas and okay. it was all very unfamiliar for I think everybody in that ensemble and very and very uncomfortable for everybody because nobody was really used to it. I didn't know any better. I was still very uncomfortable, gotcha. but I had nothing to compare or contrast it to sure but then once we got picked up uh and once we were going to shoot the first season they had uh they had scripts two through five i think Mm. and we all went to we went to london and rehearsed those for two weeks Mm -hmm. just in the middle of the summer two months before we were gonna and the idea was we did table reads and then we put scripts to the side and then we'd run through scenes and we would play reporters and we would play the okay you know somebody would play the ice cream like the grandmother who owns the frozen yogurt shop and somebody would play that somebody would play the the guy yeah 
and you just see, like, you just try to put Julia in an uncomfortable situation and see what happens. See what happens. Or Ugh. it's like the scene isn't working. What it needs, it, it needs, like, this conflict. Our, 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 our podcast listeners, our podcast listeners can't see what's happening, but <laughs> sort of, like, fitting two pieces together. He would make this yeah. little thing with his hands where he'd be like, it's not, it's not working. Like uh, that, yeah. that sort of thing. And then you work together to figure it out. We all work together. It's like to a figure puzzle that you gotta solve. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody would be in the room, even if you weren't working on your scenes, you, know, you would be in the really? room. Really? Okay. Yeah. And you would you would. You'd play reporters. That's so cool. You'd you'd be like at one time one time, you know, like maybe Matt wasn't able to be there one day, mm-hmm. you'd end up playing Mike. Yeah. Trying to pitch bits for him. You know. Huh. So it was like very much like That's a so communal cool. and very theatery, very like an improv troupe. It feels, it, honestly, it felt more like workshopping a new play than it yeah. did feel like improv. Because even, I think one of the things that made it the most uncomfortable is that you are, you are, you were put up in front of an audience because you are standing up in front of writers. You're standing up in front of the guy that's, the people mm. that are running your show and that's writing your scripts. And to do that rehearsal process was about finding funny stuff, but it was also trying to find like just sort of human natural reactions that would come up. Mm. So getting laughs wasn't necessarily the gotcha. the, the right thing. It might huh. work, but it, it might work to get a laugh, but it yeah. might not work to fix the scene. Okay. So it was very uncomfortable and hmm. and and fun, but also like every single time you left, you were like, Jesus, I'm fucking terrible at this. Um, oh, interesting. We would all leave and go back to our hotel rooms. Convinced like, it was trash. Yeah, we're just trash. We're just absolute mm. garbage. But, um, wow. but yeah, it was, it was much more like workshopping a new play yeah. than it was like, like rehearsing like an improv show where the end goal is we need to, we need to like find the quickest way to get to a funny thing. Yeah. And here are the steps to do that. And we're yeah. going to practice that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it'd be one thing if you had a, a studio audience while you were rehearsing to like laugh and laugh and laugh at your jokes, you might feel less devastated after the, yeah after rehearsals. <laughs> but like, I love the idea that you're not necessarily going for the laugh. That doesn't solve the scene necessarily. No, especially with arm. It uh, with Armin and especially like and Julia's really like in those in those first years like, and it's been a very common refrain, especially with Ju- with Julia, uh, like you know up until episode seven of season seven, like up until our finale mm. episode, like trying to keep making sure the show is kept within the bounds of reality of what actually okay. what would actually happen, and so so Frank Rich is one of our producers, yeah. and he was always in the rehearsal room a lot, which. Wow. Um, it was, I mean, like, and especially because we'd have like a lot of actors come down from New York, having Frank Rich in your. Jesus. I mean, like, there were so many, there were a bunch of people that came through that'd be like, wait a minute, that's Frank Rich? Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, I was in a show that he closed. Like, you know, that's her. That he like, closed, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But like, the thing about Frank in, in our circumstances, he's the most fucking wonderful and really? supporting and amazing. Like, Frank Rich is. The, an absolute mensch of That's a great. wonderful human being, and I love him to death. Um, but yeah, it was more about finding finding little things mm-hmm. in the process of it rather than finding the jokes. Yeah, and jokes were part of it. Finding mm-hmm. something funny was part of it, but it was more about like the sort of lived in reality of of the scenes. Wonderful. Yeah. That I love hearing stuff like that too because. I've heard it said that sometimes with, I guess it's certain types of comedy, but like you play it deadly seriously yeah. and it comes off funny, but to you as the character, you're in dire circumstances yes. or you're in 
or you're furious or you're really sad or like yeah and you're not playing it with like a budum right exactly and honestly anything i mean anything that sounded anything where the rhythm of a scene sounded too jokey mm. arm would arm would change it he yeah. would, like it sounds too jokey i think he would just really wanted to avoid it he wanted to make it feel lived in and there were times there were times definitely where a sort of jokey or rhythm was mm-hmm. required for something to work mm-hmm. and and it's really like try to f- trying to find that sort of perfect balance between mm. this can't feel sitcomy set up right. but um bum but also there's a comedy rhythm to this bit that yeah. like uh, that I am not hitting that finding that mm. thing is really hard yeah that um, takes practice yeah 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 um how did you get involved what do I, you remember about those first did you audition I did, bunch? yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bunch? remember. I remember. Tony L is like is like a really wonderful guy. If 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 anybody ever has a chance to meet him, they'll know that the um, <laughs> we he would always he he told me this. We got together for lunch right after I got cast, and I will go back to like how I ended up casting it. But right after, um, I think he had like a contractual thing on something else he had to figure out. So the the announcement of his being cast on the show was delayed for a little while. So, but once he was finally announced, um, we had met the day of the, of the network test. He was in there and he saw how nervous I was. And oh. He ended up doing a really, a really amazingly nice thing by leaning over and, and being like, Hey, just, you know, I see how nervous you are. And like, just try, think about anything oh else. Gosh. Like I can see you going through it in your head. Just think about anything else. Like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I had like just seen the most recent harry potter movie i think and i was like i just saw harry potter and he was like cool let's talk about that and if you know tony now wow. he comes like in this story comes across as like so even and so not ner- like tony is the nerve most obviously this is the most is also the most nervous man that i've ever met so he's like so cool and calm and collected and we see. talked about harry potter and it was great wow so I get cast on the he, show. It's he, my first. This thing. was unprompted. He leaned over to do this. Unprompted. Really? I think wow. he just saw he saw a man collapsing, and decided <laughs> really he was going to step in, <laughs> and so uh, we got together for lunch. And one of the things that he said was, he was like, "It's going to be really funny. Like as you go on in your career, people are going to ask you, like, you know." So, you know, you're in this project. What attracted you to this project? Why Why mm. this? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, the answer attracted. is because they fucking cast me in it. Because I totally. fucking read it and I liked it. And then they were willing to give me money to appear in it. Like, that is... So there is yeah. always that thing of, like... I just always think that's funny. And, like, like what, what do you mean, why this? Because yeah. I... <laughs> Yeah, very um, few actors that just have their pick of any project. There are what four? Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, if that they if that. also go through dry spells. Yeah, yeah, where they can't get a job. They, where they can't get a job. Yeah. So fuck. Um, yeah, it's all a nightmare. I think what we're getting at, <laughs> backstage podcast yes. listeners, is that this is an absolute shitting nightmare, top to bottom. Um, <laughs> That's what we want to so, hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I. When I was in Chicago, I had found the bare minimum of luck with some on-camera work. Um, I got cast in a Will Ferrell movie that I was cut. The scene that I was in was cut the day of. I think you can still see me in the background. But the scene, they were running long. It had to get cut. I was devastated. Yeah. Um, 
because, man, I felt cool. I've like, heard about that happening for people's first project. It's their scene that's cut. And yeah. It sounds brutal. Yeah, what are you going to do? You're just some guy. You come in, they're yeah. like, oh, this is like, there are tens of millions being spent on this production. Sure. And like, if, like, and like, you know, I, it was actually like the first time that it's because this has happened again. Like, if it doesn't move the story forward, there's no reason to, and like, yeah. and the director came up and he was really nice about it. He oh. was like, I just want to let you know, you really did an amazing, like, you did an amazing job in your own. Oh, there it is. He gave me a compliment. That's why I like him. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, look at this. The trend <laughs> continues. Of, yeah. He was like, you really did an amazing job in your audition, but we're running long. We have a hard, we have a hard mm-hmm. out and this scene does not move the story forward. Wow. And so it's got to go. And the day of. It's day of. So I had like, yeah. but it was cool. Like I still got to hang out on sure. set. I was on set with Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. We, I asked him about bands that had come through Saturday <laughs> okay. Night Live, stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. was there. I got to feel like I was, I had a trailer, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah wow. um, but anyway, I'd had like a bare minimum of some luck, both sort of like in, and I'm talking bare minimum of yeah. like, of like with on camera work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so when I'm, so I moved to Los Angeles, I was in Chicago for six years. And then eventually I moved to, I moved to Los Angeles because I did, I found sort of an affinity for the on-camera work. And, mm-hmm. and so I moved out here and I was just like, I was running casting sessions for commercials. And I ended mm-hmm. up then because of that, because of that, I was in one of the uh, person I was working for, a woman named Jenny, who I've seen, who I've seen recently, who is very talented herself and who you'll see, you see in commercials a lot. Mm. Um, she was working for a casting agency. Um, we, we loaned her a cake plate for her wedding recently. Oh, okay. Uh, congratulations to her um, <laughs> on her nuptials. Um, she did return the cake plate, if anybody in the podcast <laughs> is wondering. Good, good, um, good. Um, I think it might actually be a valuable cake plate. I think it's like an antique. <laughs> I think I saw somebody selling this like kind of shitty cake. I've always looked at it and like, what is this garbage cake plate? <laughs> it turns out, I think it might be like, a, I think it was like a hand-me-down from my wife's family. Uh-huh. I think it might Could be, be pretty worth... valuable. I'm going to sell this fucking cake You plate. shouldn't lend it to people. No, we shouldn't. I learned about no. this after the fact. Yeah. No, I'm going to sell that. I'm going to sell that thing. <laughs> um, I'm unemployed now. I got to sell it. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. So uh, that's another, here's that another too. acting yeah. tip for everybody. If you find yourself unemployed, <laughs> sell your sell cake plates. <laughs> These are really good practical tips. Really good podcast. practical tips. Everybody's learning something today. Um, uh, so uh, I, I, w- I got cast. I had like sort of a run of good luck. I had been out here about, t- I had been out here for maybe two years. You were getting cast and stuff? I had, had a, yeah, I, I, in commercially, like commercially uh-huh. I was having like, cause that's the sort of the world that I was working in. I was running commercial casting sessions. I had like a great year where it just had like a run of good luck with it, mm-hmm. which felt great. It was awesome. You know, and it was, it was cool for like the first time in my life. I was like actually sort of like making a living. Yeah. At doing the thing that I wanted to do sort of consistently. Sure. I still didn't give up that job. I still worked that job day to day. Um, but it was it was nice to be like oh like a check arrived in the mail that's fan- yeah. it's a great feeling it's a nice feeling yeah um, but then one of them uh, I kn- I knew a guy who was working at Allison Jones his uh, uh, mm. and Allison Jones's office he was her assistant or associate I think it was associate um, and we had met through friends right when I moved to town um, it was so my friend. Tony, who was a server in the place where I attended bar, it was his roommate's friend. 
Oh, wow. So his roommate was Kevin. And Kevin was friends with Peter. But yeah. Peter actually represents the woman who plays my wife this year. Okay. There's oh. been, yeah, so so he represents this woman, Emily Pendergast, who is phenomenally okay. fucking funny. Uh-huh. Um, so he showed Allison a commercial that I was in. And she was like, oh, I th- he's funny. Why don't we bring him in for something? And this was when The Office was still on. And I started going in for like mm-hmm. small parts for the shows that they cast. I w- you know, day player stuff on The Office, shit like that. Yeah. And then this was, I think, like six months later. You know, I've been called in like a handful of times for things. I've never booked any of them. Sure. Um, uh, this show came up. And when... Wow. yeah. When I got the script for this, and it was like I was called in, it was like a series regular, and I had never auditioned for anything more than like interesting, like a guest star. I think I auditioned for some guest stars, but yeah. that was like the most. Even I that's ever. big. Even that, this was a big jump, and I was just mm. like, "Well, this is great, cool." She thinks she thinks I can do that. She wow. thinks I might be able to do that. So that means I'll get called in for stuff later. Certainly, this one won't work. Gotcha. Out. I see. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the pedigree of this that is, is how such that, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that it would never work out. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You see it as a stepping stone, not necessarily. It never crossed your mind it was going to happen. No, no, not yeah, at all. That's no. amazing. No, it was like if you look at all three of those things, if it, w- it was Armando, it was HBO, and it was yeah. Julia. Like yeah. those, uh, if one of those things is true, then it's. I'm huge. not getting that job. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But all three of them wow. were true. So certainly I'm not getting it. Sure. Yeah. And then when it happened, I mean, you said that you were really nervous on, like, the first days or that you were so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you remember about how did they how did they help you, like, get into that world and get comfortable? Yeah, the Are rehearsal process helped. The rehearsal process helped, like, yeah. that I was – that I was – like, it was easy. It was just, like – we were in a conference room. We were in a hotel conference room. Mm-hmm. There's no pressure. There's no crew. There's no cameras. There's no lights. It's a very stripped down thing about what you're doing. So you don't have to worry about that part of it. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely helped by that. Yeah. Um, by the rehearsal process. And a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people, it's like, yeah, you're going to rehearse when you get to set. Yeah. And, but I mean, but even then, like the very first scene that we filmed is the very first scene that you, I'm going to start that sentence again. <laughs> The very first scene that I filmed was the very first scene that you see me in okay. in the first episode. So very beginning, yeah. So the very beginning. Chronological. Chronological. Yeah. Um, and hmm. and I remember on that first take just being so like hyperventilating, yeah. hyperventilatingly like chest, constric- chest constricting, anxiety laden, wow. nervous. That I was convinced I was going to get fired after lunch. Mm-hmm. But then when I came back from lunch and I was still employed, I was like, okay, let's change our thinking about this. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, like, like I, I, I did, I had, I had to sit down and tell myself this. I'm actually, I'm, our podcast listeners can't see this, but I'm rubbing my eyes at the memory, <laughs> at the memory of the fucking how, how anxious I was. But yes. I was like, all right, well, I've never done any of this shit before. I've never been in a giant, like, television show with a with an American icon mm-hmm. directed by an English icon 
uh, on a, <laughs> on, on like the, a very prestigious television network. Yeah. Certainly have never done that. Frankly, I've never even been close to doing that. Right. But I have been in a room and talked to six people before. Okay. Like that I've definitely done. Cool. So I just, that first day, I just tried to focus on that. Like just fucking talk to these other people yeah. and see if you can hang on to the end of the day. Just change it in your head yeah. from, from one thing to another thing. Yeah. 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 Which I, I suppose like, is like the whole thing that acting. we do. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I like that it's the hurdle of getting through lunch, like the idea that you came back and you weren't yet fired. Because I I think it's really, thank you for sharing these inner thoughts of like the the voices in your head that are saying you're going to get fired. Like mm-hmm. actors feel that. It's devastating. It feels so personal. It never goes away. That possibility of rejection. Yeah. I mean, the possibility of fucking rejection is always there and it continues to be, it continues to be to this day. Like Mm -hmm. I think that was a big, that was a big learning experience for me and for a few things when it comes to the idea of getting fired is that number one, you're probably going to get fired someday. Someday. Someday you're going to get fired off a job. Like Reed, who's fantastic. And oh, Reed, mm-hmm. he, like he's been fired off pilots before and he had this great attitude about it, which was like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks when it happens. And then two days later, you are so happy it happened oh. because if you're getting fired, it does no, it doesn't do the show service and it doesn't do you service to leave you in something that you will not be successful in. Mm-hmm. And, hmm. and that is nice to hear. It's going to fucking suck. It's yeah. going to suck if you get fired. I, st- I still haven't been in the position where I've been fired off something. I know it's coming and I'll try yeah, to keep that in mind. It's a great it's, attitude. It's going to be real shitty the day that it happens mm-hmm. and, it'll, and then it'll ultimately be fine. Yeah. Um, the other thing is just that like that feeling of that feeling of like that feeling of like the rejection, like the sort of coming rejection, the like off, like hmm. the like audition rooms don't get any easier. No. I mean, I will, well, I will say this. They don't get any easier anxiety-wise. They get a little bit more friendly if you've done something mm. that they've seen and that they've liked. They're definitely oh, like, mm-hmm. there was definitely a change in tenor in the audition rooms that, that I, I went. I have heard. Yeah. yeah. Once the show had come out, once people had seen it, mm-hmm. audition rooms definitely change a little bit after that. But huh. you're still going to have like just <laughs> spiraling anxiety leaning up to them. <laughs> sure. I mean, if you're anything like me, then yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That, we, this is, that's priceless backstage advice right there of like, is it yeah like how to just knowing that the anxiety never goes away and i feel like once you know that it never does that that yeah. helps you step in the right direction of like well okay then yeah i mean at least like the more and more i come around to that and i feel like i'm almost surprised by it every time i'm like wait why is this happening again? like why mm-hmm. am i why am yeah. why do i feel like this is the first time i've ever auditioned why do i feel like huh. i'm gonna go in there and it's gonna be this unfriendly unfeeling room mm-hmm. where i go in and they're just like because i've been in those things where you do like your one minute and it's awful i they're terrible yeah. like i've been in those things that are faceless and nameless and they don't give a shit if you're there and Ugh. and it always kind of feels like it's gonna be like that and they do get a little bit more friendly but yeah and you know what here's one thing that i has this is a little bit further along over the last couple seasons the last two years i've had to sit in on chemistry reads for both the woman oh. who ended up being cast as cool. uh, as uh shawnee mm-hmm. uh, a woman named mary holland who's massively funny uh last year yeah um, and i knew mary i knew mary from before um from the la 
of improv community. Oh, cool. And then uh, Emily, who plays my wife this year, hmm. um, is somebody who I had, who I had never met before. Um, I knew that she worked with Peter, but I only found out that like the day before uh-huh. she came in. That it's a really amazing thing. Like by the time you're getting to like a chemistry read, yeah, the actors, the actresses, both years that came in for those parts, across the board, phenomenally talented mm-hmm. people, and and there was a there was a learning curve. There was something I learned from those rooms that I have had to take in with me to other rooms, which is the people that came in. And they did an incredible job and they are very Mm. talented people. But one person came in and was just sort of perfect for it and just kind of fit like like there was nothing you could do (laughs) in a way like to make it different. Yeah. And and it doesn't mean that you won't ever get a job and it doesn't even mean that you were bad that day. Right. And same thing with Emily. Like she came in. So that happened with Mary and it happened with Emily. Mm-hmm. Once Emily came in, it was like, well, this just a no-brainer. But like the other people that came in as well. Totally. Massively talented yeah. people. And and very recently, like I went on an audition mm-hmm. and I it was like it was with a director and and I remember I left being like I gave a perfectly fine audition. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong with it. There was nothing. There was nothing that, like, I could point to. It was like, wow, that was just a really bad job acting. It might not have changed the world, but certainly sure. it wasn't like the worst audition you've ever seen. Yeah. But I definitely knew walking out that I was going to be like one of the five other guys, and there was going to be that sixth guy that came in and was just effortless mm. and fit it. You yeah. know. And so yeah. yeah, it sucks to not get a job. But also somebody just walked in that day yeah, and it was their job. That's what chemistry is. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that's another thing, like when it comes to like sort of backstage-y things, I, I mm-hmm. think there is that thing like it sucks to not get jobs and I've not gotten plenty of them. Yeah. None of them were mine. None of them are yours. None of them were mine. Yeah. Like they were like, I got this one because it was mine. I got like any, any other thing that I've gotten, I got it because it was mine. Yeah. Like, you know, like it. Don't beat yourself up that you didn't get it. Like somebody went in there and it was just perfect for him. Yeah. And it worked out that day. And and it's going to be great when you go in a room and you're fucking perfect for and it. Have that. And it yeah. all works out. And it, because it was your job, you know? Yeah. And if it wasn't, you can let it go. It wasn't your job. You yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love asking about the post audition. Like, how do you recover from the a crappy audition or from the rejection and it sounds like that's the mentality it's like yeah. it's just not your job oh i will say that i don't ever think about that till like three days later after I it takes it. a couple days it okay. takes a couple days okay. yeah. yeah there's also that that first little bit of like i mean what do you i mean there is no recovering from this <laughs> yeah yeah that's why it's the drug right <laughs> yeah. you want to go back for more yeah but you go into withdrawal or whatever yeah God, you it's can't even metaphor. get high it anymore. It kind of works. You I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the dance. I want to see the interpretive dance. I mean, it was just writhing. This. He was just writhing on the floor. Uh-huh. Just like, like different flailing. kinds of writhing or like huh? like different writhing throughout or like the same? No, the writhing was only during the withdraw- withdrawals. Like sort of okay. the writhing was the depths of his addiction. Okay. Before yeah. that, it was almost like a, there was almost like a flirtation at the beginning. There was a flirtation with the drug of like, oh, well, I'll just try this. I'm very close, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then as he got sort of closer into it and deeper into it, and once he couldn't get high anymore, that's when the writhing yeah. on the floor happened. And he was shirtless and wearing jeans. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. I hope he's okay, and yeah, I really I, hope I do, I do he doesn't too. listen to this podcast. <laughs> I, or maybe maybe I do, because he has had a huge effect on me and what I think clearly, is funny. Yeah, and what you think is funny and what you think about drug addiction. And I've definitely never done heroin. So, I mean, who am I to judge his work? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He inspired you. He inspired me. <laughs> there you go. Um, before we, I, I can't keep you for much longer, but what can you tell us about season seven? If we are saving this for, for after it's aired, I suppose you could tell us stuff. There will still be some stuff that I can't tell you just because yeah. of the things. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what you know, can I we think expect, one, like, one thing that I'll say that it'll be, I think because there's no way to separate ourselves from like, we are so, like the, our job is supposed to be. That we're a mirror to, that we're some sort of weird funhouse mirror of the world that we live in. Yes. Like, if you know, if you're going to satirize politics, then you can't, you got to satirize the political system you're in. And it was very different. Like, the political environment that we lived in was very different than when this show started. Yeah. And one thing, pardon me, can you edit that verb out? Yeah, I didn't notice there was a burp, but yeah, oh, sure. Okay, cool. Was we very... can edit stuff out. Yeah, excellent. Um, <laughs> I want you to leave in the question of me asking. <laughs> yeah, okay. To, uh, to edit the Making burp a note out, of it. Yep. Um, so, I'll see if maybe there's a way I can sort of end around to make this a backstagey sort of thing. <laughs> sure. Um, Appreciated. That obviously <sighs> the like the president or current president. Yeah is going to affect how a political satire is produced. And I think the last mm-hmm. thing that anybody, the last thing that any of us wanted to do was uh, was make a bunch of bad Trump jokes. Uh, because mm. if you want bad Trump jokes, if he does something fucking super dumb at 9 a.m., yeah. you've had every dumb President Trump joke on Twitter by noon. Yep. And then on Saturday on Saturday Night Live, they do better ones, but then sure. it's burned. And then it's like, done. Yeah. They're, they're done. You don't, like, you don't want us to do those. No. Um, I don't think anybody wants anybody. I feel like we all wish we weren't in a position where we would have to make Trump jokes. Yeah. But but yeah. I think one thing that I really, that I really liked is that as much as we try to incorporate, uh, one thing that I like that season seven of the show is done is that as much as we have tried to incorporate the current political climate, the it was never to the sacrifice of the characters that were there. Mm. All of like whatever qualities in the either the uh, the electorate or the candidate mm-hmm. that you might think about, it didn't mean that any of the characters had to do something that wasn't already there. Like yeah. we were, we were able to we were able to associate these things and we were able to put them into play without it feeling like all of a sudden characters just changed yeah and i feel like they're and like whenever they got too close and maybe this is like maybe this is like the backstagey thing Mm -hmm. is that like when you're in that position like if you're an actor in that position uh you know when a show's been on for a long time like at some point you do also have to think about character protection too. And so like, so part of that was like, if I ever found myself doing something that like, maybe there was a rhythm that was too Trumpian. Like if I was doing something where like the Venn diagrams of these attitudes overlapped with something that maybe he is known for. Mm -hmm. If I ever had 
like a cadence that sounded too much like him, wow. if I ever had a hand gesture that sounded oh that was gosh. too much like his, wow. look for like find a way to bring it back to would try to find ways Get to bring it back that. to just the character that was already there. Yeah. So I think that was something that I think we succeeded in this year of like, you know, bringing these things in without it letting run without it running roughshod over the yeah over the production. Yeah, it's yeah. quite a feat to to do that acting job because it's right. We'll it's, see. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah. Ooh. No, the oh, trailer God. was already, the trailer What if by the time you hit, like, uh, published podcast, you're like, it didn't work. Veep season seven sucked. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Because really, truly, it has gotten better and better. And I think what you said earlier about it's just because it really is because from the ground up, they wanted characters who felt, who reacted in real ways or who felt real, who felt honest and authentic and they were in these maybe bizarre circumstances but are like are maybe in their own personal dramas and that's maybe why they're also sort of likable sometimes yeah i do i do think that like like jonah specifically yeah i do think that the reason if people respond to him a certain way, like I really have tried to view him with empathy, if not sympathy. Okay. And I think that is yeah. important, like to be empathetic to or empathic. My therapist mm-hmm. says empathic, and I don't believe him that that's how that word is pronounced. Is there a difference between empathetic No, it's the same, but I say empathetic oh. and I, he says empathic. And, you know, oh. he like, he's the therapist. He's probably right, but I'm fucking right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so I've tried to very much like, view the like trying to put him like through like an empathetic yeah. or empathic lens yeah but not having sympathy for his actions not having sympathy for what he does mm-hmm. or being sympathetic to who he is but being mm. empathetic and 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 i feel like how ha- like people recognize some of this like trying to put human characteristics into this f- fucking nightmare of a man <laughs> And then it and then it makes them sort of feel for him in a way yes. that they don't want to. Okay. And then this has been another important thing for me, just because this is also something that I like as a viewer. I don't like mm. it when sort of reprehensible characters are let off the hook too much. Yeah. And I really mm. have always been a big proponent of whenever he makes you feel, or whenever any of these characters, but because it's me, I'll speak specifically to Jonah. Mm-hmm. Whenever whenever this character makes you feel bad for him he will always make you pay for it over and over and over again he will make you pay for it where Mm. you're just like i can't fucking believe i did it again (laughs) like he tricked you he tricked you yeah again and that if that happens that would make me really happy yeah wow it's really toying with an audience yeah in a good way in a good way yeah i like that I can't wait to start my rewatch and think about all of this and go yeah, back from the beginning. I can't wait to go uh, back to Teen Issues Weekend to see if there was any overlap with uh, the dance of addiction and and how that may have actually informed quite a bit of my life. Sure, sure. Yeah, We're really bringing it back to Teen Issues Week. It's just yeah. it's wonderful. It's a big deal. It was ahead of its time. It oh, seems yeah. so antiquated now, obviously. But like at the time, like sure. it was a big deal. I think there yeah. was even one, there was like a panel that might have even gotten banned like oh yeah it's like, too radical too radical oh, oh. like like the state got involved or something like that or maybe just like the community like the community oh. sort of writ large like too got, liberal maybe like the, the yeah like the too panel was too liberal oh wow yeah wow yeah anyway central maine bet you didn't know we were uh, i kind of didn't know that 
Yeah, no. Well, yeah, at least great. that little bit of Central Maine <laughs> good, good. did okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. This was amazing. Can you tell us what's next in terms of um, you're developing a show with I HBO? I am, yeah. I, what can uh, you tell us about it? Uh, this show, uh, I'm... Uh, it's a it's a dark comedy. Um, it sounds pretty dark. Yeah, it's a dark <laughs> comedy about a guy who opens up his own assisted suicide small business, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the idea being that he's very good at that job, um, huh. but he fucking sucks at everything else in his life. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so that's that's the gist of it, and I'm writing that right now. I'm working with uh, wow, uh, 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 working with HBO and um, uh. There are some producers on it as well, um, Will Graham and Haley Riengo, mm-hmm. uh, who have been a part of the development process, and they're fantastic. And wow. um, so that's sort of where that's going. So that's sort of what's happening right now. I'm just like, um, I sold it to HBO last fall, sort of had our kickoff meeting right at the beginning of the year. Mm. Um, and it's uh, and so I'm just in the process of writing it. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, congratulations. It's Thanks. really huge. Thanks. It feels, uh, on the days that I'm not spiraling... Uh, <laughs> sure. It, yeah, on the days that I'm not spiraling into anxiety about it, it's great. Yeah. I feel great about it. <laughs> and the, a lot of the advice we've heard on this podcast relates to, like, creating your own work. Yeah. Or if you're an actor, you know, try writing. And yes. is that something you recommend? Honestly, I will say, like, my manager, when we first started working together, he was like, start writing. And I was like, whatever, I don't want to do that. Like, it's mm. never been my thing. Like, I've written in the past, but I was like, I'm not a fucking writer. Yeah. And he was like, start now. Mm. And I did. And it was all terrible. Sure, Everything absolutely. I wrote was fucking garbage. Yeah, that's and important. And that, that was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that thing that happens when you do shit over and over again happened, which was everything kind of got s- slightly better, yeah. like a little bit better each time. And certainly I'm not good like like, like writers that are writers <laughs> that you think about. Sure. I'm not good like those guys yeah. are good, but it's gotten better and I've gotten more confident in it. And mm. and it, and starting that then led to right now Mm -hmm. which is this thing that i do feel very passionate about that i think i will be successful in that i think is really funny and that i'm going to work very hard to get off the ground like that's happening and that is a direct result of writing the worst fucking bullshit you can imagine seven years ago there is a direct line to those to those things and so yeah it sounds like dumb advice but take it and more and more and more it seems like it seems like this thing of just like being an actor who goes from job to job is just not a thing yeah. that exists anymore, which sucks because it's way harder to have to do oh, yeah. five things to than it is the, to do yeah. one thing. To wear the many hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's really good advice to hear that you just got to know that it's not going to be good. The moment oh, God, you start no, it's going to be it. fucking garbage. Yeah. Whoever is listening to this right now, go start writing. And that thing that you wrote, it's garbage. It's it sucks. And then yeah. a year from now, it might actually not be as bad. There you go. Yeah. Amazing advice. <laughs> that was fantastic. Um, Tim, thank you for joining us. Is no problem. Any, this has been great. Any parting words of wisdom you have oh, for our listeners? Just. I don't know if I should keep asking this parting words of wisdom question because everyone reacts like, oh, God, I have nothing. What, what am I going to oh, say? Oh, yeah, man. What do I say? We're all just trying to keep our head above water. Yeah. Oh, in general. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, I guess the parting words of advice are, oh, this is what I always say. This is what I always tell people. Mm-hmm. Um. Your timeline of success is different than everybody else's, so do not judge your own success based on anybody else's. I know that's mm-hmm. hard to do. I still do it. Mm-hmm. Trust me. I still do it. Try to keep that in mind. Um, mm. 
And also, everybody's trying to keep their head above water and all this shit. It's fucking awful 95% of the time. So enjoy the 5% of it that isn't absolutely awful. Yeah. That's great. That's that's great advice. That's going to put a smile on the faces of the people that are listening. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, it's it's just the right amount of optimism, I think. Yeah, I feel like I'm a 5% optimistic person. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. The percentage has gotten smaller and smaller. Oh, way the... smaller. You know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have been, a, I would have been good for a 15%. Exactly. One five, not five zero. Are you fucking yeah, crazy? No. No. Don't be crazy. Don't be crazy. In the Envelope, an awards podcast, is recorded at Lotus Productions, Hyperbolic Audio, and Big Yellow Duck in New York City, and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, tweet us at In the Envelope, leave a review, we want to hear from you. Visit Backstage.com for more content and resources for working artists, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with a free trial by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout. Thanks, as always, to podcast producer Wiz, Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter, at JamieMusicNYC. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter, at JackSmartWrites. Thank you to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. Peter Rappaport, Mark Stinson, Samantha Sherlock, Francis Ramos, Lauren Rout, Caitlin Watkins, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially, should-be Oscar nominee, Casey Howe. Thanks for listening. The Wild Tangents. We welcome them. That was Excellent. perfect. That is exactly what we... The more about the cake plates, the better. <laughs> I really did see like a Craigslist. I, uh, oh, no, we went to... I don't know where. Maybe we were at like a big... Um, did you see the same item? Or something? And I was like, fucking cake being sold for $400? <laughs> and it was. It was like Annie's grandmother's or something. Yeah, and you, you never know. put cupcakes on it.